Welcome back to the short game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by awesome co-hosts, Nate Heininger. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be here, as always. And Laura Nash. How you doing, Laura? I'm so excited to play a game so decisively in our micro-niche. No, this is so <laughs> incredibly in our wheelhouse. It's like they built this game inside our wheelhouse, and it they never left. don't... I don't know if they even know that they like kind of grabbed our tagline and put it into their tagline. The, our little right. Lionel's tiny hut is built around this game. <laughs> so we're talking today about Subsurface Circular, the first Bithel short. So uh, longtime listeners of this show will know that we are big fans of Mike Bithel. Um, one of our very first episodes very early on in doing this show was on Thomas Was Alone. Um, and I mean... Side note, if you haven't played Thomas with Was Alone, it's one of my favorite games of all time. You know? it, it's a classic. It, one of my favorite, too, and a soundtrack that I still listen to regularly. That game is fantastic. But if you want to play it on the iPhone, do it before it updates, because it's 32-bit. So. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, Uh-oh. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Oh, that's such anyway. a de- oh, that's that's a bit of a sidetrack, but God, what a depressing situation with with the iPhone 32-bit app apocalypse coming towards us. So what people who don't know what that is, a ton of games that are older, um, a lot of stuff that I got into when I was designing games um, are no longer going to be around because Apple will no longer support 32-bit games. Um, Even if they are playable, Apple's just not going to support them anymore. So a lot of games are going to be retired because they're older and for many reasons, developers aren't going to update them to 64-bit. Yeah, they're not being removed from the store. They're still going to be available for download, but if you update your device to iOS 11 or later, they won't play unless the developers take the time to uh, basically recompile them and probably do some bug fixing and updates uh, for iOS 11, recompile them for 64-bit processors. Or, I don't know, I'm not an expert on... 32-bit Yeah, it's a sizable update for a lot of people. Particularly for games because they're not using a lot of those like built-in basic libraries. Anyway, this is a sidetrack. But, (laughs) sidetrack, but I was thinking about doing a Thomas is Alone flashback because it was one of the ones I was going to miss. And then out of nowhere, um, as I said the day we got Beyonce, it just (laughs) pops up with this surprise release. um, And the article releasing it is all about how much he thinks short games can be a little um, publishing niche that developers can start doing short series of things. And that's why we're really excited by the word first Bithel short. Yeah. There's going to be more of them. Yeah. So uh, Mike Bithel literally just tweeted out a couple of days ago, subsurface circular, a robot detective story out now in launch sale on PC and Mac for $4 and 79 cents, three pounds, 83 tell everyone. And it's out on Steam. Uh, this is a game that they did not hype at all. The only way that I kind of vaguely had a sense that this was coming at all was about three months ago. Uh, Mike Bithel tweeted out a survey on his Twitter saying something like, um, hey, uh, would people be, I don't remember exactly how it was phrased, but would people be interested in a really short two or three hour game uh, on Steam for about five? Uh, what would be the appropriate price for it? About five bucks. Does that sound right? I forget exactly how he was phrasing it, but it, it was clear he was kind of like dipping a toe in trying Noodling. to... Yeah. And, yeah. and um, apparently this game was already sort of in development at that point, but he was kind of testing the waters or seeing how people would respond to that idea. I think people seemed to have responded really favorably to it. And so this game is interesting in and of itself. We'll talk about its, it, you know, the game it, as it plays, but just because of the show this is, I think it almost as interesting to us is the idea of a game developer that we already loved trying to make a game that is specifically a tiny, short, inexpensive, you know, t- tightly scoped game uh, that's just to, to give you a, a cool experience in one e- one sitting, one evening. Yeah, it's funny. His two previous games that we've done on the show, you know, Thomas Was Alone and Volume, already qualified for what we're looking for on this show. And he was like, how can we get even more specifically about the value of short games and short narratives? 
I have an idea, a two-hour detective game. Well, think about detective stories. Do you really want them to hang on that long? Right. Like, there's got to be a billion twists. Last night, I was avoiding doing work. I watched a Hercule Poirot episode. Hour 10 for an Agatha Christie with like 13 twists. You're not yeah. going to get that video game version of that? 60 hours. Not there for this. There for a two-hour version. My friend uh, Dustin tweeted out, you know, has anyone got a review of Subsurface Circular? And then right after it, he tweeted, wait a second, it's two hours and five dollars. I'm just going to play it. <laughs> Which is what we're going to uh, encourage you to do. Like, we're going to spoiler yep. break early. Just play this game. Yeah, we are going to spoiler break really early. We're not going to talk about any of the actual story content of the game before the spoiler break. Um, but yeah, right up front, uh, game is two hours, five dollars. It's from Mike Bithel. Um, and if that hasn't already convinced you, I'll just say you should probably play this game if you like the sorts of games that we like. It's cool. So I just thought I would read a portion of the sort of about this game section when you are looking at Steam. It says, uh, inspired by classic adventure games and modern dialogue systems, Bithel Games has created a single session story which respects your time and your intelligence. I mean, that is... That it's is our like tagline. It's like keyworded for us, you know. It's, it's <laughs> he's going to break our SEO. I know. I know, but um, but it also, you know, as we're setting up kind of what the game is, it, it's classic adventure games and modern dialogue systems. Um, it is this game is almost just a, almost an interactive fiction game at, at its at its heart, which is also good timing because IF Comp is coming up relatively soon, isn't it? Hmm. Oh boy, you're right. We have been covering a lot of of interactive fiction on this uh, show, and this is a you know this is what it's like when worlds collide. We got a Mike Bithel game that probably could have fit into an IF comp uh, somewhere. It would be the most exquisitely polished (laughs) version (laughs) I could think of, but yes, it could take a little bit of the uh, extra stuff out, and this would be an IF comp. I could see it. Absolutely, yeah. If you took some of the really some of some of the best stuff that we've uh, played in terms of like Twine games or other sort of uh, uh, interactive fiction based stuff, that's that's more on that sort of um, dialogue and choice driven side rather than on the like parser driven side. If you just absolutely lavished production values onto that uh, and gave it you know full three D environments, uh, in addition to keeping that text-driven style this is basically what you'd get and it's really really interesting to see like a a fairly big name indie developer um kind of taking on that kind of gameplay or that kind of narrative uh storytelling interactive fiction style you don't see a lot of games that have this style of gameplay really show up on steam yeah and one of the things that's always been nice about um bithel games is he generally takes like a, a good mechanic, you know, um, Thomas was alone is sort of a shape puzzle game, platformer puzzle game, volume uh, was a stealth game, but they're all just wrapped up in these really good stories um, and really interesting writing, really great writing. Um, and in this game, it seems like he was maybe wanting to not make have to make such a complicated um system you know volume has a pretty intense stealth system um, and just wanted to tell a really good story and so what would be a cool way to present this story that is still interactive you're you are playing a game for sure um and make it short and make it just a, a a great single experience and i think it's really interesting we keep talking about how polished this is the branding's on point you look at this and you can know that he created it i mean the topography the colors the overlay the the way that the ui just functions feels like something he created and i love that it's so in line visually with volume and some of the other stuff it just feels like something out of the studio which i think is a great blend with just you know 99% of its conversations but you get enough personality to know that you're in good hands through the the look of the design I mean, he sort of explained that part of the reason that this game is what it is and came out when it came out was that, you know, they'd completed volume and they are 
in talks to create another larger game, sort of on a similar scale to volume, it seems like. Um, but they had six months in between where those talks are ongoing, but development hasn't started for a new project yet. And, you know, he, it seems like he kind of, he and his team decided, well, we could sit back and spend these six months doing business, or they could <laughs> create something. And I just love that, you know, this idea that, you know, somebody who creates these big, bigger game experiences can still have these little bursts of creativity that are on this smaller scale. And I, I just want to point out too, we keep talking about uh, Mike Bithel, uh, right, rightfully so it's Bithel games, but as you pointed out, uh, it is a team. There's a lot, he has people who are working on this game. He's the director and the writer, but it's a full team that create these games. So I want to make sure we give, I, I don't have any specific names, but we do games sometimes that are made by like one person. And we talk about that one person and we're talking a lot about Mike Bithel cause he's the face and, and the head writer and the director, but there's a lot of good people doing good work on these games too. Yeah. And we really like right size games here. And one of the quotes from the Eurogamer article said, there's room to do smaller games. Some games need to be 40 hours long and have an open world. Some need to be eight hours long and be a cool single player campaign. I think some games should be short as long as they don't have lots of filler and are also short. And as long as they're priced fairly, that's an interesting segment to open up. So I like that he's thinking about it from a business point of view uh, because it's saying, hey, other people make more games like this. And I like that he's not saying one is better than the other. Like, I play short games because I don't have time to play long games, says the person who just put down Breath of the Wild before getting on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't have time to be playing that. I have other things I'm supposed to we be We certainly doing. don't have time to play a long game a week and then discuss it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and... If you want variety in games, this kind of stuff is gold. So I'm really glad to see someone this prominent advocating for short games. Yeah. And yeah. the game's good. Yeah, good. it is a great game. Uh, and yeah, we've had uh, people reach out to us before and request that we do like a show similar, but on like AAA longer games. And I love people asking us to do more stuff but part of the whole reason this show exists is the concept that we're trying to be gamers and have uh full you know lives outside of video games as well and how to make your life work with also playing video games so and if we were talking just about the triple a games that we were playing i mean i would have been talking about nothing but um the last two years would have been a full year podcast on the witcher 3 and then like eight months on persona 5 so that would have gotten really boring for everybody listening sorry <laughs> my uh, destiny podcast uh would have been just obnoxious at some point i directed a play <laughs> <laughs> laura has oh, a life. <laughs> yeah <laughs> You guys uh, want to jump into talking about the game itself? Should this be our spoiler break? I think so. Okay, before we go to the spoiler break, if you're stopping here, and probably good on you because we're going to be talking about, this is a mystery game after all, we're going to be talking about things that are definitely spoilery. Find a link to the game on Steam in our show notes or just go to Steam and search for it. You can find it for five bucks. I think there was actually a, uh, or six bucks is the regular price and the the uh, sort of launch sale for the first week brought it down just below five. It may be back up to six by the time you're hearing this. Um, and uh, yeah, it took about two hours to complete. Does that work out about right for everybody else too? Yeah. Yeah, Steam said two hours. Mm -hmm. If you're leaving us at this point, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the short game. Uh, hope you come back and listen to the rest once you've had a chance to play Subsurface Circular. Uh, so see you in about two hours. Uh, and this is it, your spoiler break. It opens with a credit sequence. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> it's actually a really, really good credit sequence, though. Oh, uh, it's so good. So it kind of remind me, reminded me a bit of... Well, I, I for some reason thought of the the intro credits sequence to Stranger Things, but I think that might have just been sort of the lighting and the music of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also really similar a bit to like the really excellent intro sequence to a game that we played with the intent of doing it on the show. And then I don't, you know, we never got around to actually doing an episode on it, which was um, Stories Untold. Um, it had a similarly like kind of like cool credit sequence of like panning over static objects in a scene that have kind of an evocative look to them yeah it made me think of westworld a little bit oh yeah 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 in the like cool robots 
and kind of sitting there, and you can pan the camera, but that may be a little sick. I kind of like just watching the shots of, you know, these are robot bodies. <laughs> I guess to describe it, it, and it, it is just... it looks really cool. <laughs> I guess to describe it, it does just sort of play cool music and pan past robots. These very cool-looking designs. And That's the robots are in sort of increasingly human-like poses... I mean, they're humanoid robots, but like, you know, at first you're just seeing robots standing around and then you're seeing like a robot carrying another robot cradled in its arms or you're seeing a robot shooting another robot or you're seeing a robot like um, holding another robot's hand, I think, you know, things like that. So it, it it's it, it really kind of drew me in and and it really set the stage for, OK, this is a story about robots that have have sort of like increasing humanity and that's a theme that that Bithel has done a lot i mean it's a bit of a spoiler for both thomas was alone and volume but these are games all three that have the um sort of rise of artificial intelligence as sort of personhood as kind of a major theme um or even a sort of like a connective thread with the plots between the three games I mean, just just seeing that intro sequence, I was like, okay, good. I'm I'm ready for more of this from Bithel. <laughs> Reagan, is robots people? <laughs> I think we've learned that robots is people. Robots is robots, and that is a people. And that is, but they're they're human. They are <laughs> not a people. Hmm. I think we need about six or seven more Bithel, Bithel games before we'll get this answer. <laughs> yes, but in this game, robots is. Worried about a lot of things that like, I think about in the L, <laughs> except I don't think about robot murders quite as much. I, I love disappearances. The yeah, I mm-hmm. love the setting of this game. The whole thing takes place on the subway, and it's a subway built for robots. It's a the cleanest, cleanest subway you'll ever be in outside of Germany. Yeah, just if you don't have people on it, that makes it inherently clean. Uh, or at least sub- substantially cleaner than a people subway. Tag yourself. Which robot type are you? Which robot type am I? Um, yeah. Listener. Listener. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably the listener bots too. Yeah. Same, same answer. I love you. Go to him and it's just like, boots, 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 boots. And then that's all you can do with them is just hear their funky beats and then go away from them. So the the game plays out at, mostly through conversations. You know, you're playing as I don't remember his name. He has one of those very roboty names. You get to pick. You get to oh, pick right, the first right. name. I, I chose Claire. Oh, mm. well, perfect name. It's, it's either you you get um, like Claire, you get like I think Alpha or or Beta or something one of like, like that. Theta and then something something. John. Yeah. Well, it's or James. I did James. It's James one one. I think one one is always the last name, and then you're picking the first name. Right. And um, James is a detective um, and that's his assigned role. So this is a world where Tex, which is their name for these artificially intelligent um, you know, robots, seem to kind of be an underclass, a worker class. Uh, and they and James or what have you is a detective uh, assigned to ride the subsurface circular, this transportation network for Tex, the robots, um, solving crimes, presumably. The game sort of begins with him interacting with a tech who tells him that his friend is missing and uh, he needs James's help to find his friend, but he specifically needs help in searching for his friend. What I thought was really interesting about that conversation was uh, he just very frankly says, like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mid or something like that. And James, or whatever his name is, our main character robot, is a high, or I think it's how it was phrased. Yeah. Meaning mm-hmm, that right. they are, uh, there are texts, there are these AIs that have different levels of intelligence and different levels of sort of humanness. And something I thought was really, really interesting about some of the conversations in this game are the conversations about that just fundamental difference between some of the texts. It's just a good sci-fi concept, right? And I I love that the robots are self-aware as to their uh, intelligence level and their roles and that they have been, they're like a base robot who then gets installed a job. And that mm-hmm. job is able to be 
manipulated, but they stay the same sort of robot, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, really weird sense of like personhood when it can be kind of edited and your abilities can be, you know, increased or decreased. Something I particularly loved about that was that there's that some of the texts sort of kind of seem to scoff at the idea of being like a high intelligent robot, high intelligence robot, because it was mostly mostly uh there to let you interact with the humans you know like mm-hmm. oh you know he's he uh you're the high well of, of course you are the humans want to talk to you and they the, the humans can't stand talking to a mid you know they they want someone who can who can play the part of a human i just i really loved that 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 aspect of it but also i guess another big theme of the game is just this idea of this sort of underclass of artificial persons that have apparently some kind of rights but it's not like they're not owned uh by people but they are just sort of it, it, it's a it's a sort of a theme of of uh, of automation you know it's like robot communism in a way it's like they used they took away from all the private individuals and were like the state owns all the robots now yeah it's government owned robots i i think that's what they're implying mm-hmm. is that you as an individual can't have them but we for the greater good will control these robots right they're run and- by management and management is it's not deeply explained, but management seems to be the human masters, basically. Yeah, I, they never say at all who management is, but I, it seems pretty implied that it's people, yeah. or or at least that maybe that level is a no, another row of robots. But at the end, of, at the the top of the stream is humans, and they follow a lot of the like you know Asimov's rules, of course, are mentioned. Um, they follow a lot of the the rules of robots that we're all used to from other robot fiction. Um, but I don't feel like you see this like cast system uh, of robots in much other than like maybe like Futurama with like <laughs> he- hedonism bot and uh, stuff like that. But um, I-, I don't feel like you see that as much in some of the other. These are far less wacky. AI but, has yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think it's a lot. You hear a lot more about them, like fitting their job titles. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of fun just to have. It, it seems like the class system is mostly for outsiders. Well, and, but and the, that the robots themselves are aware of this sort of yes. like system is is what is 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 unique to me about it. I mean, every thing that has robots is like, oh, that's a maintenance droid, and that's a this is a whatever droid, you know, and they're obviously valued differently. But the robots are rarely like. Oh, I am a member of the lower class, so I must speak differently to this other class of robot. I love that. I think in addition to kind of being a allegory for class, it also had a lot of sort of it seemed to also be kind of about immigration. Or at least maybe that's just the 2017 lens that I'm He's seeing British, all right? of this through. Yes, he is, yeah. yeah. Um it, it has this kind of uh, uh humans being uh resentful of robots taking what they see as human jobs there's a you know so i think it it handles all of those themes really well you know just like any good sci-fi it is able to take issues that are very much of today automation of jobs immigration or you know things like uh class um all of that stuff and it, it, I, I'm I'm not the right person to like really do a particularly great sort of literary commentary on on Mike Bithell's writing here, but I do feel like it did a really good job of of setting that some some of that stuff in a interesting uh, science fiction context, and you know, giving you a new way to think about some stuff. Yeah, and the majority of this stuff, this like sort of, I think there are definitely some political hot takes throughout this game. It's very well written into the story and never like dwelled on it's just like oh that's an interesting thought okay moving forward how many times have you read a sci-fi book or seen a tv show a fantasy where there's a preacher and the only thing the preacher does is be like well killing's bad even in the future (laughs) (laughs) and here you get a priest who if you want you can hear about the lore of the world but it's kind of just a character in the universe. He's not there to tell you that 
you know, there's some commentary, but it's not a priest who's like there to, you know, be a, he, there's a puzzle. So he, yeah. yes, he contributes to the plot, and it's not like you suddenly go onto a mountaintop, see a preacher, and then come back down, and you're like, now I understand what the plot was about. <laughs> the priest is also just riding the rails, just like you. Yeah. The, the way this game tells its story is all through conversation. We sort of mentioned that already, but if you've played uh, sort of a conversation-oriented twine game, I think this is going to – or even um, something that, that occurred to me as we were playing this, uh, uh, Jamie has been playing Mystic Messenger – recently laura have you seen that or nate mm-hmm. ah well no worries mystic method messenger is a uh, is a sort of visual novel otome game uh that plays out through a chat app uh so you're you know you sort of have this fake chat app where you're chatting with all these other characters and it's you know you're you're kind of playing through the story and solving a mystery by basically texting um and that's kind of what this reminded me of. Like these robots are talking to each other on the on the underground, you know, like you'd strike up a conversation with or like theoretically someone other than me. I don't talk to people on public transportation because I'm too awkward. But uh, these folks, these robots can talk to each other through a sort of a digital means, uh, a sort of silent, direct connection, uh, chat log kind of way between robots like they do on the underground. And uh, it looks like a chat app. It looks like a chat sort of interface kind of overlaid over top of the the 3D scene that's sort of playing out in the uh, in the rail car. I don't know. I, I thought that the structure of it, it continually propelled me along. Just the the sort of act of reading and participating in dialogue as being like the main gameplay mechanic, mm-hmm. that that is that is a very smart choice for this style of game. Yeah, and the um I mean, even just the design of the of the UI, the, the little chat box and the sounds it makes when you click forward, it it was all very satisfying. It was kind of fun to see the text pop up um, and, you know, it felt good to click on things. I know that sounds, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but there is something like, you know, it's good design. It feels nice to play even when it is just clicking boxes. I mean, I was also hyped for a detective novel or visual novel interactive novel all of those things where there's unity of place how many times a detective running all over town and there's like a new you know zany characters no you're just gonna stay the conversation is the thing yeah there's a little track in the bottom left telling you where you are on the subway uh what stop you're at and it just goes in a circle and you're just seeing the different stops and all the stops are just different like uh you know Infinite loop coding coding jokes, jokes. yeah for <laughs> loop, uh you know yeah coding jokes like well how would a, what would a robot name their uh, stops oh of course null reference <laughs> yeah. um, classic Lovelace uh, yeah. compile I got really excited because one was called Blue Shell <laughs> I don't yeah, know what that is. Awesome. Oh, like, oh, oh, for Mario Kart. Kart. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I like was thinking of like shell it. scripts or something. I was yeah, like, I don't know what yeah. that is. Is that, is, is that a Windows thing? They have yeah. blue screens. Bletchley Park. Like, there's just tons of coding history jokes. I, I very much liked it. Yeah, that that was really great. And actually just having a map was an interesting, it, it sort of, it it doesn't seem like it makes much difference at most throughout most of the game, but the game takes place over one circle of the loop basically. And there are things that seem to sort of happen at certain points within that. And that, that actually, even though you're stuck in this train car, it does kind of feel like there's a forward momentum to it. um, Partly because you do see that train slowly creeping along the map as you, as you're playing, even if you're just sitting there, you know, reading dialogue text. Yeah. It's a sense of movement, even though your character never moves. Yeah. So I don't think we probably need to go into a whole lot of depth about like the mystery itself. Uh, Even if we are post spoiler break, I think that's something that's probably better left for the listeners to explore themselves. But I did want to talk about some of the things that were sort of surprising or delightful that we ran into in certain parts of the game. I think we do need to mention that there are puzzles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One. So most of the puzzles are actually really simple. Um, they sort of take the form of like, you're talking to one robot. He says, yes, I can give you information, but only if you tell me 
X, and then you talk to some other robots, find out what X is, and then go back and talk to that robot again, and then you've provided them with that information, and then you can continue the, the dialogue with them. But sometimes they yeah. get a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, there's two things I'd call a puzzle. Well, it reminded me a lot, this game in a lot of its branding says like classic adventure game. And the only time I ever really felt that was with these sorts of things. You have to, before this, you know, gateway will be opened, you need to go and talk to this character. Like it's all very structured. And that felt more of like the classic adventure game um, than any of the rest of the game. I think they're more structured like that. Yeah, but rather than like, wandering around the space to find objects what you're really kind of finding is little pieces of information which become these sort of topics on your little menu of things to ask uh, other robots about and as you add to those uh, it it opens up new dialogue options with robots that you may already have talked to but twice you're gonna probably need to break out paper Mm -hmm. i mean one of them uh, you talk to comsbot comsbot is broken you need to figure out how to communicate with the comsbot i won't go further than that uh because I think anymore we'll tell you how to solve the puzzle. The second <laughs> one is a logic puzzle. I kind of, I kind of hated the logic puzzle, um, and I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad puzzle. But I'll kind of describe it and, and then tell you why I had a bit of a trouble with it. Um, the, the, you talk at one point to a priest robot, and sort of arbitrarily, you know, you need some information from him, and he has decided that he'll only tell it to you if you uh, can listen to and understand his priestly story and his priestly story is in the format of those sorts of middle school level logic puzzles that are like you know john and sally and tom all you know had uh coins in their pockets and uh the shortest person had three pennies and the tallest person was wearing a blue shirt that kind of logic puzzle um which i used to be good at i thought and so I was like, oh, okay, I'll solve this, no problem. And I couldn't freaking make heads or tails of it. Um, I don't know why. Uh, did you guys have any trouble with that one? No. Mm, no. Uh, <laughs> this is just the, this is the weekly it. part of the podcast where Reagan complains about a puzzle. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I literally had to go to my wife and say, Jamie, I'm stuck on this puzzle. Will you please take a look at it? And she just rolled her eyes and solved it in one minute and handed the laptop back to me. It was, it was embarrassing. If it makes you feel better, I once spent literally 14 hours straight trying to solve one for MIT Mystery Hunt. And then I just guessed that the answer was Tony. i also had a time in uh breath of the wild where i forgot about one of the powers and spent like an hour trying to hit this thing with a sword to move it and i and i was like i know i can do it i was seriously trying to throw things at it before i remembered you can just spin it with one of the powers so we all have our (laughs) moments yeah Um, well that one was tough although actually i realized after the fact that there are some options there's a hint button in the game that you can hit but in this case it didn't really offer anything other than like uh if you listen to the story it has all the details you need and i was like (laughs) screw you mike bithel um but i I realized after the fact i don't know why it didn't even occur to me there is an option that you can choose in the dialogue tree that's called something like enable advanced help mode yeah uh deduction mode or something like that and i think that essentially is like an additional hint thing that sort of helps you solve it but i didn't turn that on because for some reason i was so focused on on like this the, the details of the story that i didn't even read that option um so long story short if you get stuck on that i kind of hated that puzzle you know, if you really wanted this point, I bet you could probably just Google it, but try the enhanced detection thing and it'll probably help. Yeah. And other side note for, I'm not saying you should look at the settings, but I was so happy that not only was there a hit mode if we needed it, but there was an ability to speed up the text. <laughs> the thing that bothers me the most about animated, uh, interactive fiction pieces is that you can't set the reading speed and not only can you set the reading speed which i did right off the bat but you also in the game when you're talking they're like oh should i be speaking faster or slower wonderful put that in every game i I love how they made that sort of like a story moment too because you're talking to the uh you know the the robot the the first robot you talk to in depth is uh you know is the one that's sort of less intelligent than you uh or says he is and he's uh he's the one that says oh am i 
am I talking too slow for you? Uh, I can speed up because he's, it sounds like he's also almost sort of embarrassed about his processing speed. And I thought that was like the mm-hmm. perfect way to, to sort of introduce that. And it, it was like a great moment. I was like, yes, thank you. Please talk faster. And then he did. And everybody else did too. It was great. Yeah. I love when people, when uh, developers integrate just like basic settings into the story. Um, but it's like in RPGs where like the character creation screen is the first time you looked at a mirror, you know, <laughs> instead of just like make your character. It's like, yeah, you know what? It's, it's simple, but. Or like literally every moment of, of this year's, one of this year's best games near Automata. It does a lot of that. I know nobody else on this podcast has mm. played it. Guys, listeners, play near Automata. It was really <laughs> okay, gone. <laughs> it does a lot of that. Yeah, well, when we start our uh, AAA podcast, we'll, uh, be we'll my start with first that choice. Mm-hmm. We'll have one episode and never do another. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about the settings, one thing that I, I, I appreciated is on the main, the front page, you open the game, there's a button that it says like, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly, but it says something like for streamers, YouTubers, etc. And you mm-hmm. click on it mm-hmm. and it's just a splash screen that says, hey, please don't stream anything past the third uh, chapter of this game is broken into chapters or yeah, I think five sections or yeah. maybe six. I, I think it's six, six or seven because depending, but um, yeah, they're just like, if you're going to please make it very, very clear that it's spoilers. Uh, yeah, after, it was, I thought that. extremely well, like, I think it's a good thing for them to put right up front and center on this game. And also, um, like, you know, well handled. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy with certain game developers taking issue with, uh, streamers and, you know, let's players and that kind of thing, um, sort of spoiling details of their games. Um, I'm not the person to ask for opinions on this kind of matter because I don't do those sorts of streams and I don't really watch them. Um, yeah. they're not really my style of, of sort of gameplay entertainment, but I certainly get you know, that people do like watching those sort that sort of thing. And I've watched them a few times. I certainly, you know, get the appeal, but I also kind of can agree with a developer where if you've created a two hour long game and if somebody makes a YouTube video that is just the entire thing, that would be a bummer. But Bithel handles it in what I thought was a very classy way. He specifically said he wasn't going to like come after anybody's channel or anything, but just said, you know, I'd prefer that you only go up to here. If you really feel you must do the whole thing, that's fine. But please make it clear that past about here is really, you know, where the spoilers begin. And I think that's an extremely like nice uh, Mm -hmm. stance to take. And I think, uh, I think, you know, YouTubers are likely to see it that way too. Yeah. It's a nuanced take on it. It's, it's great. And I know he probably, you know, understands he benefited a lot from that sort of kind of culture when it comes to things like uh, Thomas was alone. That that game was really heavily covered. I think it kind of exploded on YouTube, um, and so I think it's uh, you know it's it's good for him to kind of uh, get out in front of what could be a potential problem by saying, hey, you know, this is this is how we feel about it, and being respectful about it, and and appreciative of the coverage that he gets. He's a I think he's a class act about it. Yeah. So we've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff, immigration, job <laughs> loss, um, human on robot violence. This game's funny. We haven't talked about how funny this game is. This game is super funny. Bithel is really good at at just sort of, I guess, like sort of light British humor while still maintaining enough seriousness for you to have like some gravitas at the, at the right moments. Uh, what was, I don't know, what was the, what was the funniest bit? for you i mean i couldn't get enough of advertising athlete sponsorship bot oh my god that's um, so good <laughs> so everything you ask this guy athlete um upsilon seven one literally everything you answer including like have you seen any suspicious people around he's like i know you seem suspiciously depleted elite energy cells will leave you replenished and utterly ready for the challenges of modern tech life don't leave oh, home man. and it's like it's it's just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Purchase ten to earn a free cell holster. I I love though that it wasn't it wasn't just a gag. It wasn't just like a a one note gag about like ha ha. Wouldn't it be awful if if you're a robot and you sold sponsorship as part of your conversations? But it makes that like a key puzzle. And I thought one of the best puzzles in the game is like how do you get through to get information out of a, a robot who has sort of sold away his conversation rights to a brand like how do you penetrate that brand bubble and that was like one of my favorite 
And it's just a great sci-fi concept that he is a robot that is he's not owned by anyone. They're not forcing him to be a sponsorship bot. The robot itself chose to be a sponsorship bot. <laughs> and it's like, but it, once you become a sponsorship bot, your like installed software forces you to twist like everything into a sponsorship sentence. So it, it's it's a really, really clever idea. Um, and it is really funny. I think I think my favorite thing that wouldn't necessarily be considered a joke, but that I really did think was like a great moment that gave me a little chuckle um, was when you talked to the priest about the uh, the architects. So to um, to backtrack a bit, and this is this is another one that's, I guess, a bit of a spoiler. But you know, if you've played both Thomas was alone and volume, you know that uh, that Mike Bithell ties has tied his games together into a kind of a shared universe, but it's very, um, uh, it's, it's not like right out front and center. There's the games aren't sequels to each other and they're very disconnected in cloud Atlas style for literary fans. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Bithel extended universe. Exactly. And so this game takes place, uh, and both, both this game and volume take place significantly after Thomas was alone, but Thomas was alone, uh, another spoiler for Thomas was alone is about the emergence of self-aware, intelligent AI, basically. Um, and uh, the uh, the AIs that are in both volume and in this uh, all kind of look back on the characters of Thomas was alone as sort of uh, they call them the architects and they see them as sort of their progenitors. And if you ask the priest uh, about his you know, about the, the story of creation, he starts narrating the text from Thomas was alone. It is <laughs> like, you know, he's just, he, he will, he will like read you the entire script from the game. Thomas was alone line by line. If you let him, you have to cut him off. I also really liked that sort of the symbol of his office was the little red rectangle, like Thomas, mm-hmm. which he has sort of emblazoned on his robot head. So, it's really nice as somebody who loved that game to see it kind of tied back and see, oh, well, this is, you know, once the AIs, the simple AIs from uh, Thomas Was Alone emerged, you know, here we are maybe, I don't know, 50 years later, and we have uh, basically a full robot society, but not all as well. I liked that sort of like carrying forward of of the themes and of the world without it being something like uh, – Without it being Thomas was alone too. Now Thomas isn't alone. <laughs> Thomas alone no more. Yeah. Oh, it also references Gisborne, which is the the villain from uh, Volume. So you can tell that these are also in a shared universe with with Volume. It's all part of one sort of one sort of Marvel extended universe of the the Bithelverse. Nate, what was funny to you? Tell me about the funnies. <laughs> well, I was going to talk about the Thomas was alone. I actually sat and read all. Almost the whole. I stayed. I stuck with it because I just kept picturing the, mm-hmm. the nice British voice, you know, reading it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it was good, and there's, you know, there's some cheap. You jokes know, that, that's uh, something that this game was lacking. I, I kind of wish that it had, uh, like voiceover, like Thomas was alone and Volume did. They just had such great voice acting. But I understand with a with a game created in six months, you know, on a on a budget in between things. Uh, you know, that's probably not feasible. And it also makes some sense in universe. These robots are talking to each other digitally. They don't really have voices as such. Yeah. And ever since Thomas was alone, I personally believe that basically every game would benefit from a nice British, uh, you know, narrator. I think it would slow the game down too much. Probably. Controversial opinion. But we did. Um, the voices. But yeah. Uh, Read Only Memories, I think, is a game. That, mm-hmm. you know, did something sort of similar. Um, that's all conversation. And that had dialogue or, uh, you know, voiceover. They did it well, though, because you could just you could just click through it if you didn't want to listen to the performance of a given line. And that was like 10 hours of dialogue. You know, this game, I think, has a lot better writing. I think Mike Bithell's writing is very good. And I think it's um, I mean, I don't think maybe that he's the best writer in video games. I'm not going to hyperbolize or anything, but I, I, I always enjoy his writing. Uh, and I think it is a bit better than the writing was in Read Only Memories, as much as I liked that game. I think that uh, that's a Read Only Memories was a really good example of pretty good voice acting, really elevating uh, dialogue that was, you know, okay, but not not like absurdly great dialogue, really elevated by good voice acting. But Mike Bithell's 
dialogue kind of carries itself and mm-hmm. it might have even like Laura was saying kind of slowed it down too much to have any voice acting I, I think it was the right choice for this game yeah possibly I, I think read only memories was more of like a novel and so there's a, like Mike Biddle wastes no space I mean every yeah. ev- every line of dialogue is is perfect and and it moves the story forward in a way that it should whereas a game like read only memories they're building in all sorts of interactions that might just serve like nothing more than a tiny moment of character development or something like that. So it's got, I know I made the comparison, but it's kind of hard to compare the writing for two things that are uh, really trying to accomplish different things, but I agree completely. They're on very different scales. Yeah. Yeah. um, The Mike Bithell's writing is hilarious. I I also have to, or is fantastic and can be hilarious. And with that, I wanted to point out like he, I love that he's not afraid to make like the cheap joke even. Um, So there's at one point where one of the robots says, I'm more of an entertainment module alpha and chill sort of tech, you know, just (laughs) just, groaned aloud. Right. And uh, like, if that was in any other world, I would be like, I would, yeah, I would be like, Oh, come on. But for some reason, because he, he he finds that good balance Uh, I know I've already made one Futurama uh, reference on this one, but like it's kind of like that where they're not afraid to make any type of joke, even if it's maybe like really stupid. They'll just do it because it will get a, a type of laugh and that laugh might make you groan, but that's still a type of laugh. So um, I like that he's not afraid to do that sometimes. He doesn't always have to be like high minded, you know, is robots people? What? Why are <laughs> you know, why are we here? What does it mean to be, you know, uh, a robot or a human or live in a city or whatever? He can make a Netflix and chill joke and it kind of works. It's yeah, totally still landed. So this game does have a lot of sort of lighter moments or, or funny moments, but it actually can be pretty heavy. And particularly it has a, it has what I'd consider one of the more um weighty choices that i've seen sort of this this game has a lot of little choices some of them consequential and some of them not most of them basically just puzzles that drive the story forward but it all sort of leads up to one very important choice that you as the player have to make at the very end of the game um and uh you know not to go into too much detail but it essentially has to do with the fate of uh robot kind i don't think we need to talk in too much detail about it. I don't want to take any impact away from it. Um, but people might want to know, you know, which way we went with our choices. If you've, you know, if, if they've played the, uh, played the game, um, I'll say without spoiling things too much that I, uh, I chose the, what seemed the route that would lead to the least amount of violence. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think we chose the same. Um, I am not sure if I chose the same. I think I chose opposite for you guys. I think I um I chose myself. Yeah, I see, I did not. I think I chose. I was like, no, <laughs> like <laughs> I I am human playing this. I will not uh, be. I will not be the one to make the decision that like yeah. basically is. I'm, I'm not big I, on management right now. Nate. I know. I know. It really, it really <laughs> does a good job of presenting a, a, a choice where both choices have a significant downside, and there was no clear, obvious, like right or wrong choice. It was no the matter you choose, they'll that, tell you the downside too. Yeah, one of yeah. them was a clear step in the way of the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> you, humans as battery packs. One of them, one and, of them uh, was not. I took humans as battery packs. <laughs> I said, "Screw you, red tech." Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, it's a really good, solid ending choice. And what I, I mean, if I had any complaint about sort of that structure, I, I thought that it wasn't telegraphed super well. It does kind of like you, you come to the end of the game, and the red tech, the kind of you know, he's he's the I don't know the 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 culprit i guess uh once you kind of get to the bottom of things uh he just sort of comes out and explains everything to you and then you have a choice and i i certainly thought the choice was compelling and interesting but i also kind of felt like it, it could have been a, it, it it felt a little bit like uh 
let me tell you my plan, Mr. Bond, kind of kind yeah. of moment. Not quite that, because he has a reason for telling you, but it, it felt a little bit, I don't know, like like a un, un, kind of a weird exposition moment. But I think it still paid off at the end, and that choice is really, really interesting. It is. I'm acting like I was like, it was a uh, snap decision uh, when it really wasn't. I really did sit there thinking about it for quite some time. But mm-hmm. um, Me too. But I ultimately chose to side with humans, Laura. Stooge. <laughs> what can I say? Call me Patty Hearst. Yeah, except for they make it sound like, uh, even though I'm saying I chose the human side, they they really do a good job of setting it up that like, are you actually choosing the side of the humans when you make that decision? So uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Did either of you guys boot the game back up after completing it? No. I did not either. And now I'm I'm thinking I probably need to because after looking uh, at some material about it online, I remembered, oh, right. When you boot up the game, it mentioned something about a developer commentary. And then I completely forgot about it by the time I was done with the game. And I haven't booted it back up to, to give that a try. Um, according to Mike Bithel on a forum, uh, the developer commentary mode adds a new character to the game who will give you insight into the production process and tell bad jokes, which I think sounds exactly like what I would want from a developer commentary by Mike Bithel. Um, so I'm probably going to at least poke around in the game again to just check that out. I also did take a little time to look at the gallery that's unlocked where you get a lot of the production art which I highly encourage people to flip through even quickly. If you like robot designs, there are a lot of robot designs. Yeah, they're really good robot designs. And UI sketches, which I really like. So I know that last week when we were uh, getting ready to uh, do this episode, we told you guys that we were doing Tacoma next. <laughs> and this game, uh, you know, as Laura so aptly put it, Bithel Beyonce us, and we just had to talk about this immediately while it was still hot and fresh. Um, but we're going to be moving back to talking about Tacoma very shortly. If you have any other short games that you think are cool and interesting, games that respect your time and that you want to tell us to give a, give them a try, uh, you can let us know. And we mostly, I think, play uh, listener suggestions. So if you go to www.theshortgame.net, you'll find our website where we've got all the subscription links and there's a contact form there. Uh, you can contact us on uh, Twitter as well. We're really active there. And you can find the show at underscore short game uh you can of course also find me on twitter i'm at reagan k r-a-y-g-a-n-k laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and nate where can people find you on twitter at nate stl and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game Mm -hmm.